You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week, we caught up with Tony Pescatori, the bar manager of the world-famous Nightjar in London. We talk about moving to London, the drive of always wanting to be new and different, as well as how he makes his drinks so unique. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So sit back and enjoy. Hi everyone, my name is Tony from Niger. Uh, I've been bar manager in Niger for the last three years and for a total of probably six years. And very happy to be here, obviously very humbled since I've seen uh, that on the podcast you guys had uh, names such as, you know, big names such as uh, Jimmy and uh, Bueno San. And yeah, thanks very much for having me, Michele. It's great to be here in Mandarin Oriental in these 35 <laughs> <laughs> degrees uh, outside. It's mega hot. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for finding the time. It's awesome to have you over. Uh, it's finally great to see someone from Niger. You guys tend to be quite quiet uh, most of the times. <laughs> Quiet well, and reserve. True I don't know, maybe we were a little bit shy or uh, over-focused. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, yeah. You guys uh, were very hard. Style, yeah? So I'm sure yeah. it was mostly about focus, was it? Yeah, we like hard work. I mean, uh, it's mainly about, you know, spend a lot of time in terms of uh, research and it's what we like to do here. So, so let's dive straight in. Uh, Niger is uh, one of the, it's it's an institution, right? I mean, as an independent bar, it's been around for... Uh, it's nine years now, yeah. Yeah, it's been around for nine years. Uh, for an independent bar, that's an incredible amount of time. That's, uh, yeah. And it has probably been one of the bars that defined, uh, I mean, the generation of bartending that... Like I was part of, like meaning when when I arrived in London early 2000s, the 2010s, that's when you know Niger was kicking in and was very influential. So it's great, great to have you over. Fun, fun. Actually, I, I arrived to London the same year. Yeah, it was 2010, and yeah, Niger was one of the first places I fell in love with, and uh, you know the insane amount of uh, knowledge or different you know things going on you could see there. Uh, not just, just only the, the you know the flashy things that you could have but you also you know the particular kinds of different flavors were going on and you know the team was very strong Marian Luca Gabriele Martina they, they were all like great guys and they've been obviously a big part of my uh, development uh, in terms of my career yeah so let's talk about a little bit uh, where you come from so wh- where do you come from exactly I am uh, obviously from Italy uh, there's no that's a very common name Tony in Italy <laughs> uh, yeah probably it's like uh, 90% of the stereotypical Italians have uh, named Tony true that so I never really have to explain where I'm from that's uh, good most of them they get it from the accent uh, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, even if you know pretty much it's 10 years that I'm in London 9 years um, I'm Italy. Uh, I'm from Lazio, which is uh, the top part of Lazio, which is uh, pretty much the same distance between Florence and Rome. So my the area where I'm from, it really looks like sort of Florence hillside, you know, very good olive uh, fields and uh, uh, wineries. You know, it's quite cool, cli- cool climate, you know, temperate. And I'm from a very, very small village. This is, I think it's pretty much uh, 2,000 people now. You know, they keep dying. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and it was, a, you know, it was obviously a big shock moving from a, such a such a very small village to such a massive city that London is. Uh, but I've, I've always been one of those people, even from very very young age, that I really wanted to you know jump into something new rather than being staying in the quiet uh, uh, sort of comfortable zone uh, as a kid. So I used to go you know 
to the school where uh, no one else will be going uh, of my friends. So I was alone again in a different uh, atmosphere. And I actually went to, you know, catering school is quite popular. There's a lot of different catering schools okay. in, uh, in Italy. So you studied hospitality? I studied hospitality, yeah. From, uh, We're a rare breed nowadays, are we? A lot of people uh, get into this job without studying hospitality. I mean, it's, I think it's coming back, is it? It's true, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always have a big respect when I meet somebody that, that you know, started uh, studying this particular, started, you know, knowing they, they wanted to do this particular career. Uh, but obviously, there's a lot of very good creative people around that, you know, just happens to be in this particular job and they, they excel to edit. What was your first uh, job in hospitality? First job in hospitality uh, was, uh, well, I, I think I started working when I was around 13 or 14. Uh, of, so obviously during the school time, you have a particular time in the, the week where you, you know, you do the theory and the whole either bar and uh, service, also the kitchen uh, side of it, the pastry and everything sort of together. And then you actually sometimes, you know, work for free uh, to kind of start to learn how to, you know, tend to the guests and uh, different cook different flavors and uh, not really making drinks because you're 14, you know, but uh, yeah, just the theory side of it. And then we used to work with our um, uh, professors, uh, you know, on the weekend. So we will get like a nice pay for that age. And uh, yeah, I think I was working every weekend. Obviously, in the, in summer you work uh, three months, probably every day. Sometimes, yeah, uh, <laughs> in famous summer seasons, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So there was like a catering uh, sort of a setting. It was like one of the best, probably the best catering in the area. And we used to organize, you know, these massive weddings. Sometimes we were, uh, they were like booking a, a whole village. Where we used to go to do the weddings uh, through the streets, you know, with the buffet, banqueting. And obviously that was like, I don't know, 22 hours of work per day. Yeah, it's crazy because so. you have to pack the stuff in the morning hey, and so. then you have to go there, unpack serve the people for like a stupid amount of hours and then you have to come back. It's pretty You've cool. You've done this, yeah? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so crazy. Sometimes you sleep in the truck for hours and then you start again the next day. But uh, it's a, it's a you know, very forming experience. It really toughens you up. Uh, of course. Especially at such a young age. I'm, I'm quite uh, happy that I've done it. So tell us, what made you decide to move to London? Uh, well, it was probably because of the fact I was, I was very upset with uh, some of... Um, The Italian system in terms of hospitality. One of my latest employer, you know, was you know holding pay to not really paying the people that were working for him. And so I was quite upset. You know, I just said, you know, let's go somewhere else. And again, I really wanted to jump in something new because I, I was getting quite comfortable in terms of uh, you know I knew what I was doing and it was getting a bit boring. And yeah, obviously, all, all I it was 2010. All I could say in English was hi, my name is and whatever. Uh, so yeah, that was me quite... speak manager. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you moved to London. How was it? Was it quite difficult? Have you had friends there before? Did you have friends, or do you just moved over? No, no, no. It was just uh, yeah, playing. You know, getting in touch with some agency, and uh, they're generally quite dodgy. All these agencies, they're, they're know, mega they... dodgy. I remember <laughs> when I moved to London, <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. yeah, I had this agency. Oh, this was crazy. So I really needed a job, right? And uh, I found this place, like, uh, was a uh, ice cream place. So we're doing ice cream during the day. Like, ice cream, pastas, a bit of everything, right? And I arrived there, and the guy says, oh, you're Italian, you know how to do pasta, go downstairs. Never cooked a <laughs> plate of pasta in my whole life. It's a total disaster. And, they just assume, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and we had this agency, and what they would do, they would organize, uh, say, 10, 15 uh, trial shifts, 
to come to work yeah, yeah and then exactly the, the, not, it just let them go without pay it was a disaster yeah so that the one uh, uh, i went through they, they used to get you to work a week or two in a particular place obviously no pay and then i think they were just you know rotating the people so this place will not pay the em- most of his employees half of his employees <laughs> the yeah. i think those things have changed though. i don't think it's happening anymore uh, hopefully not so tell us a bit uh, about how did you get the job in niger I was, uh, at the moment I was working, I, I think I spent two and a half years in Shoreditch House, the membership club, which is very close by, I think, 10 minutes walking distance. And, you know, I was in love with Niger, going there a few few different times. And one time I obviously dropped the CV, like uh, many of them did. And uh, I think it was the time they were doing some sort of apprenticeship, they just started. Uh, so, you know, different bartenders will go there uh, to work a few hours in the morning just to, you know, learn in exchange you know not for money but in exchange you get knowledge out of uh how you hard work let's say you know you used to do obviously the most simple thing but there was always a lot to learn and um yeah i, I think i was working with well, five days a week uh in shoreditch house really uh, quite cool membership club i had i had a very good very nice time a lot of celebrities around and uh, basically, uh, and I used to spend one or two days uh, in Niger in the morning. So let's say I was working, I don't know, Friday till 5, 6 a.m., sleeping two hours in the, the garden area on the couches and then just going to Niger straight, 10 minutes walk. How did you get to work with them? Did you just ask them? Uh, yeah, I was one of the many people that, you know, just went there and uh, wanted really to work. And I think what... You know, Marian and Luca always said this uh, uh, is to see how actually people behave behind the bar and choose from that because you, you, they, I think that that's obviously what I do now, now as well. You really need to see the level of uh, commitment of somebody, you know, if they really want to be there, uh, what they will push to do, you know, how far they will go. And that was my my week, you know, uh, this, this has pretty much been my week for around 11 months, so almost one year, almost every week, at least one day a week after a uh, uh, my uh, general, my everyday job, I was going there, helping out with the, uh, I, I used to do like a prep shift uh, in the morning, so say, I don't know, around eight, eight hours. Did you learn a lot from these preps? Quite a lot, quite a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously the results, uh, I could see the results even on, on Shorty the Shows where I was working. Because uh, it's not really about, you know, okay, I'm going there, I'll learn these new ingredients. It's more about the, the mindset, you know, the how to, the, the mindset organization, uh, pairing, uh, putting together stuff and uh, how to work uh, at best in a very small place. Because Niger fast is very small, yeah. Niger is, uh, yeah, two station. I think the whole bar length is five meters or something, you know. And there's always just um, two bartenders and a, and a junior bartender or barbec uh, working every night. And we try to rotate this, um, well, it's pretty much 75 customers when it's a full capacity during the whole night. And some people drink a lot, you know, some people have four, six, seven cocktails. Yeah, especially in the UK, so, the drinking culture is like pretty hardcore. Yeah, very hardcore. So yeah, obviously, if there's no system in place, if there's no organization and uh, balance between the team, you know, um, harmony, let's say, uh, this doesn't doesn't work. And this is something I started, obviously, uh, learning with uh, those two guys. Did you enjoy your time with uh, Marian and uh, Luca? Very much. Obviously, it was very tough. But uh, again, I always liked, you know, very tough thing, a little bit of a masochist. <laughs> so that, the hardest, you know, the better, the, the, the more you... It's like when you when you run, the more you run, that time it really kills you. But then, you know, you can run a little, little bit longer, a little bit longer and faster. But, but you, you guys... Uh, you guys work like unbearable amount of hours. Do you still do that? Or like, is it still a lot? I think I try to manage uh, uh, a little bit, um, maybe differently for for the team now. 
at the moment we are uh, probably one person more than we used to be in the past one x there's one extra person and we can actually you know with that i don't want to call it extra time but with that time that we can spare uh, we can actually focus a little bit more either on research or uh, the you know going to different markets or the organization itself or the bar on the actual um, system and uh, but also uh, a lot of our guys uh, now i try to push them uh, a little bit each one of themselves to to focus on a particular topic so everyone is you know uh, try to support a little bit as much as possible on whatever they like to do you know? so if somebody is into you know the decoration of in terms of i don't know handmade glassware and all this uh, we try to push this and that we organize some beer courses and uh, just between us between the team or you know we all put the heads together and go somewhere or find a particular thing uh, so that's do you, do, you, do, you share faci- do you share facilities in between the bars, Oriol and Niger, or not? Mm, no, no, no. At, at the moment, it's only from for the kitchen. Okay. Do you yeah. think it's something that you guys want to implement, or? Mm, I, I don't know. Maybe in the future, I don't. I don't think we we have a thought of it. You know, I, I know a lot, a lot of uh, big companies they 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 try to centralize a little bit. I don't know. Uh, preps maybe or batching into a particular location, but I think so far it, it works quite well for us. And then, still. You know, it's a, it's a single bar. Uh, one bar does something, the other bar does something. Yeah, you guys do completely different menus, do you? So there's there's almost nothing that crosses over, probably. Uh, I, I I wouldn't know to be exactly, honest. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know exactly. Obviously, yeah, yeah. They're, they're so prep and. Uh, but no, no. I, th- I think at the moment we're happy like this, you know. And also, it's a very good part of your uh, personal development in terms of uh, bartending or even to in the other profession. Uh, obviously, in doing that prep time by yourself or you really either you know know how to organize yourself and make it all happen within that limited time you have or it doesn't work you know it's uh, so it's a very very good uh, tool uh, in a way for self-improvement i believe uh, doing these preps by yourself because generally preps, preps sometimes can go from 6 a.m to 6 p.m for a single guy uh, so just in a, maybe a day a week we you know we start all double shifts and uh, we prep all together so when you by yourself you got some timings you need to do stuff it needs to taste properly it has to be balanced well done and uh, within that time you really need to start to be organized otherwise you so and generally preps takes i don't know maybe four to six months to understand how to make it by yourself properly and uh, yeah that's a, actually a game changer you know whenever we go around it's we found ourselves in a different location or different uh, you know environments we I think maybe it's a little bit easier for us to, to kind of organize and put the things together and uh, make it happen. You know? uh, I think that, uh, so we all get a lot of pictures and we see how the drinks in Niger <laughs> look and you all have your your style. Uh, probably one of the things that is not really understood uh, from outside, it's the amount of preparations that you guys do and uh, the amount of research that you guys do. How do you go about doing research for your bar? Well, uh, it depends on what level of... Um, research we're talking about you know this uh, this research for, in, for in, research for ingredients research for research for a particular technique or a kitchen technique or tool or uh, the glass research is generally the one that takes the most times you know because because you sometimes uh, obviously you start from a different idea when you're formulating the menu from, from base idea and then you need to i i like to do sort of this way you know everything needs to kind of match and make sense together in a way that you know if something gets to you say if you order something there's a, some ingredients and you know make sense between each other and then the glass comes and it also makes sense with the name of the drink or the ingredients inside you know it's something that you can maybe relate to you know it has to be something you know uh, very quick that a customer that maybe i don't know he doesn't really care about you know he just want to have a, a drink uh, a refreshing long drink you know 
it might either appreciate or not maybe the thought that's behind that. You know? uh-huh. So, like, what channels do you use to research? Do you do a lot of uh, internet research? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, th- there's a few uh, little tricks I think uh, I started uh, learning through the years. Generally, when research is just a, it's mainly just about time, you know. The more time you put into it, if you really want to do something and find something, uh, the more time you put into it, the better it is. So a lot of times, I just, you know, after shift, I spend uh, <laughs> a few hours uh, researching. If if I really want to find something specific, and uh, sometimes I just I just go home in uh, in the afternoon, and that's, you know. Uh, but many times uh, you find them, and sometimes you find unique pieces that you cannot find anymore. So you need to kind of manage it. Uh, sometimes all those glasses get stolen, so you need to come up with something a little bit new. So you're uh, guess stealing uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it happens sometimes. Obviously, we don't want to say it. it just happens so many times. Sometimes it happens. No, no, it, it Na- happens to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in everybody, you know, wherever you try. I thought it was mostly coasters, though. Glasses on another level. Yeah, that, that's probably easier. You know, glasses, you need a bit of planning. You need to uh, <laughs> get rid of the eyes, you know. You need to be... Uh, maybe they, sometimes they, they take it to the bathroom and you find glassware in the bathroom. You know, they just want to stack them up with <laughs> towels and put them in the bags or something. Oh, that's the, they do their own research as well, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's a, a planning involved, yeah. Could you tell us mm. some of the drinks that you are most proud of and, like, what was the thought process behind it? Uh, wow, it's a good question. Uh, there's a, a very particular one which I'm super happy about. It is the Palma Rosa Fitz, which we had on the menu for... Now it's the third year, and we keep we keep it in there because it's, uh, you know, it works very well. It's a good seller. It's easy to do, easy to sell, you know, easy, easy pleasing sort of drink. And uh, we actually... This, this was when um, uh, Sasha Petraske passed away. And I, I thought it, it could be cool to, to, you know, to make a drink to kind of uh, as, a, as a homage to, to the guy that was obviously had a big impact in the whole uh, bartending scene. And uh, one of his drinks, I was researching a bit, one of his drinks on the, on the, in the past was the Palma Fitz. And it was essentially like a vodka, lemon, ginger beer, uh, sort of like... Moscow Mule, more or less. Easy going, yeah, Moscow Mule style, uh, very fresh, uh, refreshing. So from that idea, we just wanted to connect elements of milk and honey uh, into the drink, but not just by using milk and honey. Uh, we actually, uh, you know, we just wanted to twist it a bit uh, by using milk oolong tea, which is, you know, very sort of creamy tasting fermented uh, Chinese tea. And uh, the honey part, I don't know if you if you had the chance to see, the, we do this glass, which is a little pouch. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. And um, sometimes when, when you want to find new glassware, uh, uh, it's easy to buy something which is very expensive, maybe, you know, because you can find awesome glasses. But uh, very expensive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, f- for a small bar like us, obviously, sometimes you need to do a bit of lateral thinking and say, okay, how, how can I can make up something maybe with a three or four pounds max that, that could have, you know, an impact and make sense with the whole drink. So we uh, we took this cloth. I think the, the first time we bought a, either a tablecloth or like a tent or something, and uh, we dip it in melted beeswax. So... Uh, it, it soaks because it's like very uh, obviously fatty, oily, and uh, but it solidifies uh, right away. So <laughs> sometimes, at least once every two weeks or a month, you find either Carolina or Sebastiano they just dip in clothes and uh, hot bee wax and just hanging them away, like uh, like you know, like Mama will do uh, with the clothes That's outside, <laughs> you know, on a clothesline, and uh, it solidifies, and you have this uh, very sort of hard cloth 
which we shape uh, into a little pouch and it's waterproof, you know. So uh, it's also one of the vessels uh, we always uh, bring to travel because it's, you know, lightweight, doesn't break, uh, smells amazingly because it's, you know, beeswax, uh, very aromatic. And this way we put these two elements together, you know, the milk, milk oolong and the honey from, you know, the beeswax idea. Uh, obviously, it's not really easy to get the guests to, <laughs> to understand this thought process. It's uh, a little bit like, you know, you can't just talk five minutes about a drink and the night has to be going on. But I, I like to, to take it uh, around just to showcase a bit. You know, there is a particular thought process behind and uh, obviously, you know, the pairing between the ingredients. Uh, I mean, it works quite well. Then eventually, we've been saying the first year this drink was hanging off. Um, <laughs> we like sometimes to do the things over the top. Hanging off a little stork. Okay. Uh, like it was made of uh, resin and the stork, I, I, I had it like, I found it the perfect height, you know, to, so you could sit at the table and the, the pouch itself was hanging from his beak. So like, you know, the stork bringing the babies, uh, uh, it was fun, you know, it was fun. A lot of uh, people, they would just go, sometimes you need to exploit, I think, uh, even that, you know, that sort of thing that, you know, it's easy for us to make, it's fast and people see it and just go, I want that, you know, mm-hmm. bam. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that, so I think the industry is moving towards a very minimalistic uh, approach to drinks, you know. Mm-hmm. I think some of the leading bars, they, they go towards this, almost no garnish drink, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's merit to that. You know, I also think that from a consumer perspective, some of the drinks that you do are incredibly relevant, you know, still nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree. Uh, actually, uh, my, my favorite places to go are actually uh, these ones, you know, because you obviously see, you know, there's not a lot of um, focus on what the drinks look like, but it has to be obviously about the flavor and, uh, mm-hmm. and aroma. So, and that's, that's generally always spot on, you know, that there's a lot of great, great, great bars. Uh, which I enjoy going to. No, no, it's really, it's really good to have a, a bit of variation. Uh, obviously, what you mentioned to me, sometimes people maybe think of Niger or, okay, crazy garnishes or no. Uh, what I'm focusing a, a bit more on now, it's uh, not having, you know, uh, we don't want to serve uh, like a salad uh, to the guests, but I like to exploit um, uh, this sort of, uh, you know, for us it's an extra element. Generally, uh, every single drink uh, that we sell comes with a little bite. It's never for the look. I mean, it works sometimes for the low people want to have a, a little picture, but there is a little bite that you can have. And uh, generally that sort of flavor you get from what you're eating is in contrast or it pairs with the drink. Uh, say you have, I don't know, a nice drink, which is refreshing, sour side, fizzy, and you pair it with, not really pairing, you serve it with a bit of a little chocolate bite. We do this little, I don't know, chocolate uh, Lego uh, man, which is flavored with fig leaves, you know, such a, a beautiful aromatic flavor. And when you obviously bite into the chocolate, that fattiness is based on white chocolate, so there's quite a lot of fat content. That fattiness stays, coats your mouth. And we try to use it a, bit, a little bit like chefs do, obviously, you know, you, or if you think of a classic or food and wine pairing you know you have something fatty you need to cut through with something very clean and you know maybe sour uh, so that's 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 for us that's for me uh, and, and the team uh, an extra element to add you know and also generally you know sometimes if the what you find on on the glass in niger is not edible which is probably uh, one or two drinks max uh, in the menu is there for an, an, an aromatic profile Okay. okay so there's always a reason it's never never just about just about the uh, you know the looks that that comes after uh we try to you know exploit also the uh, color contrast between you know whatever is the color of the drink or the glass uh, contrasting with the garnish so that it could be uh, a little bit more um sort of pleasing to the look sometimes you need to exploit this sort of a uh, subconscious uh, 
many of us know how to, you know, you, you know that in if you enter a room which is very uh, red and uh, yellow, uh, rather than one which is, I don't know, dark green and dark brown, uh, you have different feelings, you know, automatically subconscious feelings. So like if you think of McDonald's using those, you know, bright colors because you want people to come, eat fast, leave, boom, boom, next, next. Uh, contrasting to uh, different other colors that make, may actually relax you, like dark green. or So, so we try to exploit uh, this a little bit as well, you know, it's, it's more... Um, putting a lot of different uh, theories into the drink itself, not just, ah, that looks cool, Instagram, bam, uh-huh. thought followers or whatever. So that, that's what is, it is for me, you know, whatever, whatever the outcome uh, can be, this is for me, you know, to having a little bit of uh, extra flavors going on, you know, you, you try to, to put as many different flavors and contrast uh, in a particular small serve that you pay thought money for as possible, you know, to, in order to keep the experience going and... Uh, so you actually have a Lego man made of chocolate. Yeah, we were using yesterday the Jigger and Pony. Yeah. <laughs> it's very fun when you look at it. Obviously, I really like when, when it, something comes to the table and people just have an instant reaction. You either laugh or you <laughs> yeah. go like, oh, you know, because uh, that's, that's just primordial. You know, it's a primordial emotion. You see the little Lego man is funny. You know, it's you, can, funny, yeah. you can't say <laughs> you can say anything you want about it. You can say, oh, okay. Like I'm laughing uh, about it. Uh, it it tastes amazingly. It, it works great with the drink, but then it gets to you and you have a little laugh, you know, and that's, uh, if you can, ex- I think, exploit that, if you can uh, transmit that sort of uh, instant emotion, uh, I think, yeah, you know, the guests, guests will come back. We talked about a little bit about the immense research that you guys do. Immense is a big word. Huh? It's, no, it's but a... you do a lot of research. <laughs> and I mean, you're one of the leading bars when it comes to that. And we mentioned the fact that you guys do a lot of preparations. But I think some of that preparation is actually spilling into the market. And I think you're doing a line of bitters, if I'm not mistaken. Or you, you have your own product with Marian? Uh, yes, exactly. Um, electric bitter uh, was a, a Marian first... Um, uh, idea. This was um, ten years ago when he was back in Montgomery Place. We found this. Uh, uh, he found this little flower, and he wanted to translate this particular cessation, which is a bit like Szechuan pepper works, into drinks. And uh, obviously, we started extracting it together, adding a lot of different spices. So um, the extraction process, actually, I don't know. There's about 70, 70 spices. They're all singularly extracted, and we all put them together in sort of a recipe, different balances. And uh, it's a fun product. You obviously introduce a lot of different, uh, a bit of complexity into drinks. And that sensation is not only like surprising or funny uh, for guests. It also works in terms of like, as we were talking about fat a minute ago, you know, it, it kind of coats your mouth, it stays around your mouth, and is also able to uh, catch the flavors that are going on into the drink. So it essentially, uh, in a way, kind of adds some length into the drinks itself. You know, it's like, uh, we use a uh, drink, <laughs> a steroid for drinks. <laughs> so, and uh, <laughs> have, you, have you launched it on the market yet? Electric Bitter has been for, on the market for uh, the last year, I think, and uh, we are uh, currently in 10 different countries, but obviously it's a bitter. I'm not expecting to, you know, we, we're getting quite big orders sometimes, but I'm not expecting, you know, bar to use a bottle a week or so, you know, it's a bitter. To trillionaire. Yeah. 200 drops uh, to eat. And it started almost a, like a little uh, joke. But um, our company uh, itself, um, you know, the future products, we have around seven, six or seven uh, different products uh, uh, in mind. And uh, they will be focused on this um, something that starts generally from very raw ingredients, raw spices, uh, and also without the use of obviously flavorings, 
very often, you know, unfiltered because we found out obviously filtration uh, takes away a lot of the flavor itself. And it's not only focusing on uh, flavor only, but also about the mouthfeel and, you know, a lot of different other uh, sensations that might go on texture, mouthfeel, and might go on in your mouth and sometimes uh, be overlooked. Are you touring Asia at the moment? We're going to be in, uh, yeah, I think we're going to spend uh, a couple of weeks around different cities in Asia. And um, uh, next stop is Bangkok, then it will be Shanghai, Hong Kong, Beijing. So it's uh, in between a, a nice work uh, experience, uh, but also, you know, it's not a lot of hours of work into it, you know, the, it's also a bit of a holiday. But it's quite cool because you get to experience a lot of different parts of Asia, right? You know, yeah, I true, think it's true, quite true. different. Uh, Yeah, I haven't really spent that much time in Asia. I was just in Shanghai a few months ago and uh, I was in Hong Kong and Macau a few months ago. But yeah, our initial idea is maybe of Asia expectation. And when you actually get here and it blows you away, really, on the amount of, you know, fast development and uh, things, you know, there seems to be a higher level of organization in every sort of <laughs> field. <laughs> do you still do the playing cards? Yeah, we, we've been doing the playing cards from the very, very first year. And uh, that's actually one of the, the things, you know, uh, we have, obviously, for brands. We make an, have a nice photo shoot and uh, every single drink is on a different card. And we give them away as a souvenir uh, uh, so very often. So it's a nice little reminder, obviously. And it, it works for brands. Brands are happy. It's a very cool idea, the playing cards. <laughs> very cool idea. Not my idea. <laughs> I don't have any... <laughs> no, I know, but it's still uh, done very well. So congratulations uh, to that. Last questions I ask to everybody. Sure. Um, if you could have a last drink, what would that drink be? Last drink? Your very last drink. What my very it? last drink will have sherry in it. I'm really into savory. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, the length of, um, you know, savory ingredients. So probably it's going to be based on Amontillado or Palo Cortado or something. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome stuff. Thank you very much for talking to us. It Thank you for great. having me. Thank you for having me. Niger is one of my favorite bars in the world. So it's uh, amazing to have you here. It's probably where uh, I started to really fall in love with bartending. So it's great to see that Niger right. is still uh, you very much. going mega strong. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Tony. You can find more content from us on YouTube and Instagram where we post our hashtag how to classic cocktails video where every week we show you how to make classic cocktails in less than a minute. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.